The Kaplan Community Podcast is a place to catch up with Kaplan Business School alumni. We talk about life after graduation, what we're doing now, careers, opportunities, and future plans. This podcast is exciting because it features alumni who have made amazing transitions. I'm Kieran Howard, the Alumni and Industry Partnerships Manager at KBS. And my name is Dr. Richard Stager, the MBA Course Director at KBS. I'm Kenny. My last name is Sadipo. I live in Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada, and I work as a financial analyst for Richie Bros Auctioneers, which is a global asset management company. Today's guest is Kenny Sadipo, MBA class of 2018 from Sydney campus. How are you doing today, Kenny? I'm very well, thank you. It's great to have you as an engaged member of the community, even though you're living now in Canada. It's been a while since you've moved on from Australia, since graduation. How is life and, and what have you been doing? Life has been, I think I'm just trying to, you know, settle down properly now. We've had our time of trying to adjust and everything. And I think having moved before prepared us for moving to Canada from uh, Australia as well. So it's taken us um, a shorter time to actually adjust and fit into the system and uh, be able to build from here. Actually, I was going to ask specifically about that, about the moving, because, you know, transitions is a major theme of the podcast. And your history involves a lot of big transitions, moving your life and, and your family between several countries. Can you describe to us why you chose to move? Obviously, I was born in Africa, in Nigeria specifically, did my first degree there and decided I wanted to explore, I wanted to travel. So Canada was always my first choice. I, I wanted to do an MSc in biotechnology at the time. My first degree was in science, sciences, microbiology. Unfortunately, I couldn't really get uh, a sponsored position here in Canada. So I settled for the UK at the time. So I did a, a master's degree in biotechnology in the UK. After that, worked for a bit. And then uh, decided, oh, yeah, it wasn't. I wanted to change career, so I, I went into finance. That was when I started finance in 2009. After a while, because of the Brexit and all the uncertainties in the UK, I decided with my family, okay, wanted to relocate. So we chose Australia. Um, fortunately, I'd actually done a bit of ACC here with Kaplan Professional in the UK. The Kaplan name was known to me. So when I saw the Kaplan Business School, I thought, okay, well, this may be a very good place to start. Uh, moved to start to do the MBA in Australia while still focusing on trying to come to Canada. So moving from the UK to Australia was, was, wasn't was too easy because I was going to be studying and my family was with me because one of the things, my value system is basically family-based. So I, I value my family over and above a lot of things in my life. So I'll take my family anywhere I go, even if it's so inconveniencing. So we decided, okay, we're going to ship everybody together. So my wife and daughter, we, we were in Australia. And then, yeah, it worked out fine for us in Australia. I didn't have any problems. It was challenging um, schooling and working and everything, trying to balance everything out. But yeah, it worked out for us. And as soon as I was finishing the um, MBA, we got the permanent residency in Canada. So everything worked out pretty, pretty well. And then got a job through Kaplan as a financial manager and worked there for a few months. Good thing is Australia wasn't too different from the UK in terms of culture. 
there were a few things that were different, but not really, there isn't that stark difference. There's a little bit of difference between Australia and Canada, which I've witnessed so far. Culture-wise, Canada is a little bit more laid back than Australia and the UK. That's funny because I'm I'm from California, but I I always thought Australia was one of the most relaxed places you could be. I haven't been to Canada yet. You know, the the work life balance here is is very good, right? That's one thing that people often say about about Australia. Do you find Kenny that you you know you've talked about balancing and about family a lot? Do you find it difficult to balance being a busy professional? When we first arrived, I got the job as a disbursement reviewer which is mainly a role that audited a customer's account before any payments are made. So I work with an auctioneering company, so call it asset management. So before, so if a seller comes with a consignment and we sell the consignment, what, what I used to do was to look at the full file from cradle to grave and look at everything, make sure Everything is right. The payments, the, all the contractual uh, policies are followed and so on. And then approve it to, for payment, for payout. That was what I used to do. For that, it was, um, it was easy because it was a nine to five thing. Or I, I chose to do six to, to 2.30. That was how, how easy it was. So I wanted to start early because of traffic and finish Quickly, So I was able to start work at 6 a.m. and finish at 2.30. So it was, it was a flexibility of the job drew me to it in the first place. And like I said, I, I value family a lot. So my family time is sacrosanct to me. So I, I gravitate towards jobs that allow me the time to be able to spend time with family and so on. So, but I, so I've sacrificed a little bit on other things like sleep in order to get back home quickly. But then now I've transitioned from that role into a more of a global financial analyst role. And that is in an, like a nine to five. You have very, very busy periods and then you have periods when you're not really very busy. So I try to make the most of when we're busy. Sometimes on the weekend, I'm busy because um, I work with people in Australia, in the US, in Netherlands and all over. And, you know, that time span can be very, very challenging to meet with people from those time zones. So trying to make, I'm trying to make the most of the time when it's not that busy and making sure that my family understands that. That's, that's how I deal with it. What kind of background did you, ha- did you have to get into finance in the first place? I had a background in, um, in, in the sciences and then moved into finance without any financial background. I was good with numbers though. So what I did was I got like in the UK, I got like a very junior kind of role in in a in a financial services company called Welcome Finance in the UK. And and after that, I, w- I went into complaints and compliance and worked for Deloitte on some projects and uh, Royal Bank of Scotland as well. So that built a little bit of experience for me, even though I didn't have the financial background in terms of certification. So I decided to do a bit of accounting courses with Kaplan and then uh, ACCA. At that time, I wasn't prepared to go and get a certificate in finance or anything like that. So I decided I'm just going to do something broad with a finance kind of undertone. So I decided to do an MBA 
and then did um, a, lo- a little bit of economics and finance with the MBA, with Kaplan Business School. But when, when I got here, so that was how I got the financial manager role in, the, in, in Australia. So that was still experience-based and the fact that I had worked in the financial services industry in the UK. So when I got here, I did a little bit of mutual fund kind of uh, course. I, the, first, the first couple of weeks I arrived and then took that course straight away, prepared and, and did the course. I got the job I got as the disbursement reviewer. Immediately after that, I did what they call the FMVA here, Financial Modeling and Valuation Analyst course. I recommend it to anybody because it's it's hands-on. So it's not like a theory-based. So you get scenarios, case studies. You could They could give you Amazon. They give you all the financial stuff. And then you go into Excel or whatever program you have. You actually do the modeling. That's a good career story. And I'm really interested with the MBA then that I'm, I'm assuming that helps you understand company performance and maybe predicting strategy and financial risk as you're, as you're analyzing a transaction. How much of your role do you spend with strategy versus the valuation and analyst part? The analyst part is about 60%. The strategy part is 40%. Now, it, it, it wasn't like that before, but uh, the, the company is changing we got a new CEO last year, and uh, the focus of the company has changed a lot. And I'm I'm more focused. My my analysis is more focused on the operations. We are we have a corporate financial analyst roles and so on, but mine is mainly operations. So I work closely with the ROMs. We we'll call them ROMs. That's the regional operation managers, in order to be able to. Uh, make sure that we can cut ecstasy. So nowadays, what we're looking at, so, you know, if a business is doing really well, you're thinking about, okay, if if the environment is really good, you're thinking, well, let's see how we can maximize um, our profit and so on and do more. If it's not doing well, you're thinking, okay, how can we cut costs? How can we be more efficient and things like that? So that's basically what I what I look at. So I'm not just looking at numbers and looking at what the numbers tell us and how to advise the regional operations managers and the vice president operations on this is the trend. This is um, what what we're doing. This is what I think we should be doing less of. This is what I think we should be doing more of because when you look at the numbers, that's the interpretation of the numbers. Well, it's interesting that you've got that, you know, the 60% more into operations and competitive analysis performance. So we've got to ask the inevitable question, Kenny, everyone's going to be keen to find out in the global place, what do you think are the biggest opportunities and the biggest risks? The biggest risk is, is the, the ever-changing environment. For a company that isn't nimble, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to focus on the future. It's, it's just going to be very difficult to compete with nimble companies, companies that are not as weighty. So that's, in my company now, we, we don't even... Uh, begin to look at water waterfall in terms of project management. We're just basically, you know, just cut everything into chunks and make it as simple as possible for us to. If there's any any reason to change path, you haven't done too much in a sense to go to waste. So it can be very very easy to actually change costs if there is a need to do so. I think one of the biggest risks is the ever changing environment, technology advancement. Oh man, it's it's huge. In the in our in the industry that I'm in, 
we we did a lot better because we had actually started pivoting into online bidding and all of those things. So when COVID came, it was easy for us to, it was easier, not easy. <laughs> it was easier to actually begin to think, okay, how can we put everything online instead of live options and things like that? And that's what we did. However, businesses also, when, when making decisions, we need to be thinking, okay, when we make this decision, how does it affect other aspects of the business? Because what we found out was once we pivoted online, it then had it then had some challenges on the back end services. So things like customer service and all of those, um, it, it brought up a lot of challenges that wouldn't have been there if it was live. So a lot of all those changing environments, I believe it's, 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 a, it's a big part of it. A lot of people confuse traditional waterfall with being operations, and you're saying now that uh, agile and chunking things down is the best way to go for operations and flexibility. That is so true, I think. You know, I, I personally subscribe to what you're saying, but it's just a common myth that we have to use that traditional Gantt chart that we've been using. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, just another question. I'm really curious about your experience going online. I mean, Kieran and I, we've had to go online, but what's it like? for customer service and trying to manage customer service online? Is there, did you notice a big difference? You can't replace the person-to-person interaction, you know, face-to-face interaction. It's just not, it doesn't, it's not the same when you're online, maybe Zoom or all of those on the phone and so on. However, it's one thing to think about what I would prefer. It's another thing to think about, okay, what will majority of our clientele or customers prefer based on the circumstances that we found ourselves in? So the first thing I believe a business, which we did, was to actually sample customers, you know, try to, to, to actually get a feel of what they want. Do you want like an hybrid and then for different countries, how can we make sure that if there's a face-to-face or a face-to-face um, meeting, how can we make sure it's safe based on the, the, the restrictions within those countries and so on? So we try to uh, look at that. So sample the client, the customers to find out what their preferences are, and then we go with that. But we've seen that, you know, online opens a lot of, a lot of uh, pathway for more people across the globe to participate in the market that we're in. So we've got loads of people that wouldn't have actually been part of this this business if we'd been live as against now that we are almost 100% online. So we have, it's, it's open to a lot more people and we get more bidders, we get more registrants and so on. So, and that, when that is a secret to higher bids. Because when you have more people, you have more competition. That is an insight I've never thought about. The fact that online opens the, the world up, essentially, to accessing the economy and, and participating. Karen, I don't know about you, but I've never thought about that. Oh, well, you've, uh, I suppose it's a, it's a silver lining or, or it's a way of seeing opportunity in, in something that's opportunity in crisis, right? Um, yeah. that's, that's the important way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And, and Kenny, I... I think that you really epitomize the international professional that we've talked about in uh, when we talk about sort of uh, the theme of success as an international professional. And I remember uh, when I was careers advisor and I met you 
uh, early in your studies at KBS, you your role that you achieved in Australia was with an education agency and helping them restructure finances between multiple countries. And now you're in a role where you're operating between several different countries as well in, in something that seems even more complex. Can you speak to how can you be successful working on global projects or, or with teams across borders, that sort of thing? Kaplan helped me a lot. So apart from the fact that we, we did a lot of courses and so on, or models or um, workshops, I, I really learned from a lot of workshop-based teaching in Kaplan because you could actually talk about some real-life scenarios and try to act them out and try to think about how they impact us. And I'm talking with reference to emotional intelligence. We, we did some, some stuff with regards to emotional intelligence. And I think it's one of the very, very big aspects of working in a global environment, uh, getting to understand people from different cultures. Because one of the, one of the things one needs to be able to do, I, if I understand who I am and then I can then try to see uh, or understand how people are, understand different cultures where people are coming from, then it's easier to begin to listen to them. One of the barriers we need to break is, I want to break the, the cultural barrier. So when I'm, once I'm able to break the cultural barrier, I can then listen to that person with some form of understanding as to what they're saying and how it applies to their peculiarities, to the peculiarities of their environment. So the challenge, definitely the, the, the time difference is a, is a challenge because you then need to you know, try to work a little bit longer hours. Sometimes language barriers, pronunciation barriers, you know, somebody says something you don't really understand what they're saying because they use a different lingua compared to how you use it and so on. So um, <laughs> that's one of the things I had to learn in Canada because a lot of the things I would normally say, or words that I would normally use are not being used. And then they use a different word. So I need to understand what that is. And um, I need to try to try to try to adapt, not just within the global environment, even the business itself. The business itself has their own lingua franca, that is the, the words they use. Getting to understand that and getting to, to know what that is for, for these business and what it means to them. So I think that's for me, the, big, the biggest challenge is getting to know. I, I, I work with people in the U.S. who speak in a certain way. And who and I work with people in in Europe who speak in a certain way, not just the UK. I mean, I work with people in, from Netherlands and thinking, okay, what are they actually saying? I can't really. <laughs> but then initially, you know, but you need to get through that phase and you know come to understand them, and then you can break that barrier, and then you can work together to to do things. And we were doing a lot. I'll. I'll say I have to ask for our job seekers out there, um, just because when I listen to your story, Kenny, and it seems like you're very good at sort of translating education into employment. You have a great story of in, in each of these stages, you've you've taken a course, you found a good job that, that has related to that course. And and I know that it's come with work and, and skills. So do you think what do you think has led to you being able to do that? Is there anything you might be able to impart to others who are trying to do the same? I believe in 
thinking about the future in a certain way, keep the vision in front of you. And then I, I asked myself, what, what does it take to get to this vision? What does it take to get to this destination? And then I, I, I think about, okay, this is the pathway. I never, I never go a year, a year and a half without doing something that has to me, not necessarily adding to the job that I do that adds to me as a person, uh, a skill. Uh, it might be that I want to remind myself about maybe power by or if I've done anything like that or anything, you know, something totally different from what I've done before. That's one of the things I do as a person. Now, I also am never afraid to start over. And I, I think maybe because I've moved a bit, I have been forced to learn that. So I could have come into Canada with the mindset, you know, uh, I was financial manager in, um, in in Australia. I got to get a financial manager job in Canada. But I didn't do that because I was not afraid to start over because I, I know that, okay, I just need a foot in. And once I get a foot in, I can then go grow from there. So I decided, okay, well, this job, I, I looked at the company. You cannot overemphasize researching companies. And not just companies, if you know who you're going to be into, who's going to interview you, research them. I, I don't, I, I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, and if anybody's going to research me and they're on LinkedIn, I'm going to research them. I'm going to find out what they did in first degree, what they did in the second degree. I'm going to find out everything about them that I can find out. So that when I'm talking to them, I'm actually talking about some of their interests, some of the things they've done, they, some of the things they're aware of, because I know them, not just the company. I, I research the company, but I research the people as well. And I think it's helped me to be in interviews, to be, to be able to speak to people, not just to answer the questions, but speak to them because they understand what I'm talking about because they've been there. Uh, they can relate to the answers that I'm providing. And so number one is don't, don't be afraid to start small or to start over. Research as much as possible. That's what I do. If you have to take extra courses, do it. And for those who have gotten a job and need to do, do better, I mean, I'll give you an example of what I did. So when I got into the company, one of the things I told the person who hired me was, you know what, I'm very, very good at looking at a process and trying to find ways to improve the process. And so when I said, you know what, I'd like to do a project in my first year. So three months after I started, I started a project looking at some of the processes that we, we engaged in. But that took time. It took my personal time. So some of the projects we engaged with and then decided, I, I said, you know, we, we probably can do away with some of these things because, you know, it doesn't really matter. So I said, OK, I'm just going to do a research and get the data involved. So for the first year, I did that. And then I submitted the project, the results to my, my, my line manager. Before I knew it, it went to the VP. VP said, okay, let's meet. I, I met with the VP, presented it to the VP. Now it's a process, a process change that has been effected. That was before I got this job. But that, ex, that exposed me to the VP such that when I applied for the financial analyst role, he already knew me. So I didn't have to do much because I had done a lot more before that stage. What's been your biggest surprise in moving to Canada? What's, um, what happened that you didn't expect? Oh, I think for me, it was, I think it was a combination of, the, of Australia, what Australia afforded me and 
my learning experiences over the years. I, 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 I'll give you next. Uh, so when I when we came to Canada, it took about five months to get a mortgage in Canada. So we got a mortgage five months into coming to Canada, and that's basically because of the of what Australia afforded us financially after my studies, and the fact that I had actually lived in a, in in England and moved to Australia. So. I had an I had an idea of okay what do I need to do in order to make sure we can settle quickly as quickly as possible and so when we came into Canada I had that experience of moving to Australia and settling in Australia from the UK so with inside I can think okay you know these and these and these and these and these are the things I don't have to do these are the things that are very important that we need to focus on and financially I am actually we we are a lot we're a lot better. I mean, it's financially we're good. Another thing that happened that's this is providence. Uh, my first my first child is a ten year old. We got we we have um, a second ten years later. Not not for want of trying, <laughs> but we got to Canada and um, we got a boy. So. <laughs> So uh, I don't know if it's a cold weather or it's, I don't know, but <laughs> it happened. <laughs> Congratulations on your, on your child. That's wonderful. Your yeah. is adjusting. Yes. And your 10 year old is adjusting to life in Canada as well. Yeah. She's, she's unfortunate. Well, fortunately she's, she's now used to it. We promised her that this was the last move, you know, because she, she, she really did complain about moving from the UK to Australia, and then she complained about moving from Australia to Canada. And we thought, okay, you know what? Don't worry, this is it. We're not moving anymore. Oh, well, unless you want, you want to move when you're like eighteen. Oh, well, then what I would just wonder is, is what sort of accent would she be developing? Is does she sound like an Australian or a or a Canadian? <laughs> but now it's all over the place, so it depends on who she's speaking to. Obviously, you're a very adaptable family. She's very adaptable, like her dad. <laughs> it's one of the things I tell people when 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 I get interviewed um, and somebody asks me, okay, uh, how do you deal with change? I say, you know, if you hear my story, you know that I deal with change really really well. Definitely. What else is is on the future? I'm one who who believes um, in not just working for people, but working for myself. So I. I'm doing some of the stuff on the side. I have a, I started a plan a, a year ago. So, and um, the plan is to grow that and also go into food processing um, on the same farmland. So, yeah, that's taking my time. I'm having, I'm having to get a, technology makes it easier too, because I can easily see the farm because you can, you can set up cameras there and see what's happening and make sure everything is fine and so on. So I don't have to travel a lot to be able to manage that. And I have people who are also helping out there. So the future is on the side business. So I want to keep that running and, you know, build that up and make sure it grows. It sounds like you're really doing something good uh, for the local people in Nigeria. And how can you make sure that it's still, you know, that, it, that it's running smoothly when you're so busy in Canada with your other career? I think it's all about getting the right set of people. People are very valuable. I mean, I think the most important resource anybody can have is people. Is people. So, and one of the things I did was to also get them to buy into 
the company and become shareholders so that they can they can have a stake in the company. That's wonderful. Well, it's really interesting to see that you have the project on the side of the, the farm in Nigeria and and hope everything goes very well with that. Kenny, thank you so much for, again, for your time. And, and I know that it's a Sunday evening, but we've really enjoyed this. I know I have learning more about, about what you do. The Kaplan Community Podcast presents an opportunity to think about things differently by listening to a diversity of opinions from our Kaplan Business School alumni, Karen Howard and me, Dr. Richard Stager. The podcast is published every Wednesday night. Search for the Kaplan Community Podcast on your favorite podcast player, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We invite you to find out more about our guest speakers from our LinkedIn group. Search for the Kaplan Business School Alumni Community. Please rate each episode to help us reach more listeners.